Around the NFL Podcast has misplaced its mirth. Welcome to another edition of the Our Merkin, the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I'm joined from a virtual room filled with some heroes, Greg Rosenthal, Mark Sessler. Was it a Merkin? Was that what money said? I, I, we, can, we almost Ricky, need what was that? to get in. What did he yeah. say? You didn't hear it. It said they misplaced their mirth. Like you guys oh, aren't mirth. funny anymore. That's oh. very different. Yeah. yeah a mer- I don't know where you got Merkin. And for listeners out there, if you don't know what that is, just Google it. Oh, you don't know You don't know how I, I, I got Merkin out of mirth? It's not that far off. It's, That's true. But a Merkin is, um, according to a Google search, an artificial covering of hair for the nether regions it's used a lot in um show business productions uh for certain scenes and uh and that's what i thought the bit was so we are flying here on a wednesday hump day am i right you know that's not true dan no he dan keeps his you know right by the desk Just, that was a real uh, fun. peek behind the Hollywood curtains right there, Dan. Like a real stagehand. <laughs> this um, is, this is where, yeah, your wife being in the biz really paid off huge. Everywhere you go in my house, you open up any drawer, you will find a Merkin. <laughs> that is just, that's just what, it, when you live in Los Angeles and you have a spouse that works in the entertainment business, Merkins are literally everywhere you look. That's we use life. them as handkerchiefs. Dan, yeah. I was at your house last night for Emily's birthday, and actually I was playing with the boys, and I was like, oh, let's get a board game, and we opened up the drawer, and I was like, oh, my God, Merkins. what is that? And your four-year-old was like, oh, that's Daddy's Merkin. And I was like, oh, okay. It's normal to them. Uh, Greg and I obviously not invited to Emily's birth. There's a birthday no, my party gift, we're seeing. What's, what's my gift here? to my wife for her birthday, for her 29th birthday, we'll call it that, Um was Erica. She came by well, for a visit. Came by to babysit. I got to find out where you ate some, some dinner down there. Where you live. Oh, we went to Mercado. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a place. Great Mexican restaurant. All right, we're in the weeds. Right <laughs> off the bat. Big show. Wednesday show. Did I mention it's hump day? Oh, yeah. Merkin day and hump day. The rare Merkin hump day. And... Um, <laughs> We have a new guest that's coming on a little bit later, um, a new member of the NFL Network family, Cameron Wolf, who is um, a reporter for us, and he does a lot of work down in Miami with the Dolphins, which is good because the Dolphins are an interesting team at this moment in time. He also uh, has been over in Panthers camp, so we're going to have Cam on. I don't know if he is Cam acceptable. We're gonna we'll we can ask. That. Yeah, I mean, I've, you know. I've heard him referred to as Cam, like on another. And platforms. also another C Wolf with the same spelling of the last name. Colleen is Colleen is a class act all the way, but you you have to wonder if it annoys her just a little bit. I mean, I saw her the, celebrating it, like she was saying that it added to these C Wolves that she apparently knows other C Wolves. Maybe be, not. Be NFL totally Network, honest. But. Be totally Marks. I know your answer. Greg, you be totally honest. If a Gary Rosenthal started working at NFL Network, <laughs> would you be not mad or even annoyed, but just a little bit like, oh, I wish he had a different name? If it was Gary, I, I want all the Garys I can in my life. So I would be all for that. <laughs> Gary is a great name. I do like being confused for Ken Rosenthal occasionally on, on Twitter. You know, another dimin- diminutive uh, man in sports media who's done right. very well, you know. Baseball right. man. You're basically... Ken without the bow tie. That's how I always, that's how I know which one is which. Mm, 
without the without the bank account, I think. Or maybe too. the airtime, I mean, the bank on... account. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, I mentioned Cam Wolf. Also, yep, it's back. I got to tell you, our editor Ali, we had a phone call the other day. I said, "Listen, load management. Ever hear of it?" He had me write a hard knocks preview. He had me drop an entire power rankings column. Uh, and last night, I'm up until one o'clock in the morning writing the Hard Knocks recap, the premiere of Dallas Cowboys um, season, 16th season of Hard Knocks. And I quite enjoyed the episode. I'd like to hear how much it annoyed Mark. So that's going to come up a little later in the show. I'll save it. <laughs> Mark hates Hard Knocks. Do not. Um, but before that, we love doing it, Greg, you know, this time of year. It's a great way to info dump and share some of our own analysis. Ooh. It's time for some training camp whispers. Mm. Let's go. Let's get it going. What are you hearing, Greg? Ear to the ground. Where should I start? I, let's go with the uh, Ravens camp. I feel like the Ravens are quietly having an annoying camp for them. <laughs> and... <laughs> You know, started with Lamar, um, and it's continuing with a variety of injuries. Now, Rashad Bateman with a week-to-week injury that initially downplayed, and John Harbaugh, you know, confirmed on Wednesday that he might not be ready for the start of the season. So that that is more than a week-to-week injury. He he made sure to say it was going to be a while, and you just like. Look at all the different little pieces. It's the Ravens. They'll be better in November than they were in September. But it might be a team you want to catch early. Uh, like I, their offensive line, Zeitler's been out for most of camp. To Miles Boykin, their receiver who was a starter last year, might not make the team uh, right now. I just feel like there, there's a lot going on there. And Bateman was one of those rookie receivers that they needed to come in and make a big impact. Because as you mentioned last week, Dan, like Marquise Brown has not practiced at all. He's had a hamstring injury too. So you're basically counting on Sammy Watkins and that's it. That's a yeah, and you have a Lamar there. who's deep into his scientific um, uh, research on COVID. He's been down for the count again. It's just been kind of a, a little bit sloppy, huh? Ronnie Stanley, they're, you know, arguably their best player along with Lamar. Uh, hasn't pra- you know is just coming back to practice people forget you know one of the highest paid left tackles in the league i think he might be number 1 uh and hasn't really practiced either cuz he's coming off that serious surgery that knocked him out of last season so it's just like there's a lot there's a lot there I, I i really do think sometimes it's about when you play the team and the ravens more than any team uh them and the patriots i think have a tendency to look a lot better at the end of the season than they do early and you know what it's funny because doing the power rankings and i wrote it over two days leading up to going up today. It does. It is good in terms of an exercise, keeping things in perspective, because I did think about all this with the Ravens, the way you just laid it out. Um, but it wasn't enough for me to drop them out of the top five. I still say, okay, mm. it's been a little bumpy, but am I going to say all of a sudden the Ravens are taking on water? No, it's just a little bit of a uh, hiccup in their season preparation more it, than anything. Greg, Greg calling stacking. it annoying is um, it has been a, just there's been a little a little bit little bits of annoyances, which is not typical for the Ravens. But Jimmy Smith is another guy that's out a couple of weeks who they're either counting on to play snaps. It's it's just it's a lot of them stacking up. All right, how about you, Mark? Give us a whisper. 
I've been focusing on Rams camp a little bit where, you know, I know when they lost Cam Akers, um, the thought was, I, I thought Cam Akers was someone that could lead, be a top three rusher in the league, if not have a chance to lead the league in rushing with the way that yes. offense might look. But they lose him, obviously. And, you know, the problem was you have Daryl Henderson. I really like Daryl Henderson, but he's had um, durability issues. But Jordan Rodriguez from The Athletic, two weeks in a row with her, you know, risers and fallers at camp, has listed all three of their running backs, Daryl Henderson, Xavier Jones, and Jake Funk, as guys who have, um, they both wrote, they all rotated in as first team and second team snaps. No one's taking the starting job away from Daryl Henderson, but even just today, Sean McVay listed Xavier Jones as someone who is going to have a big role in the offense. Jake Funk is sort of this analytics guy. Um, darling. I, li- I mean, I like the name, but yeah, actually funky. I've had people reach out and say like, this guy is going to grow on you the more you watch him. And, but I, he sounds like a little bit more of a special teams dabbler who will get some snaps at running back. But it just sounds like, um, A, obviously, this will drive fantasy heads um, to drink probably, but it will be a total committee scenario. But if you go back and look at what Daryl Henderson did in a couple early weeks last season where they leaned on him as the number one guy, he was electric against the Eagles and the Bills. And I just think they're talking about him being explosive, um, looking healthy, which is key for him. That wasn't the case earlier in the offseason. So I think they're going to be okay on this front. They just need that depth because, yeah, as you said, the other players behind him, there's really no one with any type of pedigree. And Henderson has had injury issues, and he wasn't really the, the guy at Memphis, even at college. So it's like if he goes down or if he is not – as good as they want him to be, you might find yourself getting into a little bit of an issue. I I don't know. I still wouldn't be surprised if there's a veteran that shows up that everyone knows. Hmm. Uh, And it won't be Todd Gurley, uh, but I could see someone else uh, popping into view here um, if injuries or... If they lost someone. Right now, I think they're like, he's basically... McVeigh has said we're riding with these guys. I mean, if there's a, some sort of hiccup, yes. Funk, I mean, um, you know, Mark loves the, the scrappy white running backs. Like, the, you know, Christian McCaffrey was right there for him a couple of years ago. Really wasn't interested in that. McCaffrey was, was too good. Because he was a first-round pick, though. Right, he was too it's, good. It, this right. is about the Zach That's Zenner All-Stars. Scrappy. Right. Uh, you have to be, you have to have a cool name, like Zach Zenner. Uh, what's his name? Jake Funk? Toby Gerhardt. To- <laughs> That was really the original. I just like bringing that up. <laughs> well, they, I'm not worried about their yeah. running game, by the way. They're always kind of an underrated run blocking team. And that, I just think it's almost undersold how many weapons they have, even without Akers. The fact that Van Jefferson is out there, Deshaun Jackson, I know it's Deshaun Jackson, you know, practicing without pad season. Uh, he always looks good. But if he's their number four receiver and Tyler Higby is like their number five as the tight end, like that is a loaded group. I'm not worried about their running game. In other whispers. It's been an annoying, a little bit more than annoying. I would actually maybe flip the switch a little bit to alarming training camp overall for the Cincinnati Bengals. So the last thing they need in this uncertain time around Joe Burrow as he works his way back from that catastrophic knee injury is uh, dispatches from the beat reporter saying that number five overall pick Jamar Chase has, according to Paul Denner of The Athletic, has not shown as much separation as you'd hope in training camp. Uh, This is uh, a player who did not, he opted out of his final year of college He's 21 years old, so he's obviously rusty. And the the hope here is that that's all this is, that some of his struggles in camp in terms of um, really standing out are all tied to his lack of play. 
and Cincinnati knew that was a possibility, I'm sure, when they drafted him. Uh, but at the same time, this is such a big pick for them. They took Chase because he was Joe Burrow's teammate in college, and they thought they would have an explosive one-two punch. They can't miss on this pick, and I'm not saying they're coming close to missing on the pick. We have no idea what's going on. But what you would like, you'd like to hear things like you're hearing in Florham Park around Elijah Moore, the Jets draft pick, where it's like, oh, this guy's an instant playmaker. He might be a star in year one. You want to hear that from Chase, especially when you went wide receiver over protection for Burrow. So far, not the case. Not hitting the panic button, but when you factor in all these other issues around Cincinnati and their offense, I'd be concerned. Because you have to look at what they did in the draft as a whole, not just Chase. They chose not to take Sewell, like you said, and what they did you know, to help their offensive line was take Jackson Carmen in the second round, which was a guy that had a lot of people split on, was surprised he took in the second round. He has struggled so much uh, in his early snaps that he's been benched, supposedly, for like the fourth-round pick. You know, So that, that already like that plan isn't going well. And who knows? The Bengals would argue, okay, we took three offensive linemen, like one in the second, fourth, and somewhere else. And maybe one, you know, one of them hits and maybe the fourth is hitting. But like when you're hearing that the offensive line is struggling in Bengals camp again, and Joe Burrow is struggling too, it's just, uh, they are probably the team I'm like less excited about than I was two weeks ago. And maybe it's irrational, but I don't care. Well, and and Paul Denner (laughs) has been writing one sort of, um, you know, fatalistic report after the next. And it started with the Burrow um, scenario. And I, I do kind of wonder if they if they brought Burrow back a little too early. Just when you hear like Tyler Boyd, we mentioned this on our network show, Tyler Boyd saying that you could sort of see him favoring one leg, um, you know, limping a little bit. Like that that just seems to me like with he, with the injury he had, it wasn't just like a clean ACL. It was much more than that. Hey, like that's a little tough. So. How about some? Yes, Biars. <laughs> I'm f- with you, Mark. I just, I just, I, I felt the same thing that what the f- <laughs> some organization. <laughs> it's just a waste it's, of my time. It's pretty rare to hear Mark swear. Yeah, he it is a bad. comprehensive waste of my day. <laughs> it's a I, I'm hearing joke boots on the ground. By the way, you know, who, you know, um, Nick's been Nick Wesseling. You know, yeah, Chris's uh, brother. <laughs> Ricky's dying. She's loving best it. Best man. Um, his his wife's been at <laughs> Bengals camp multiple times and has given boots on the ground reports about Burrow's struggles. They're worried. Really? Well, M- that's multiple. Good. And it is it's it's funny you mentioned Nick cuz I thought about Chris and um we you and I Greg, had had conversations early in April when the Reds got off to a hot start and how bittersweet it would be if the Reds finally pulled it all together and Wes wasn't around to see it at least on this uh uh earthly uh plane. I don't know. But um, the Cincinnati Bengals, for years, I try to say, Wes, come back to the Bengals. Go into their loving arms. They're waiting for you to come home. We know you built the file. It was a thick. I wonder where that is right now. It's somewhere. Somewhere in Lakeisha and Wes's house right now. There's that thick file, that, the dossier that Chris prepared um, as only Chris could with utter focus on all the reasons why he was divorcing this team. This was, what, 15 years ago now, maybe more. Uh, more I thought Burrow that. might bring him back in. He was and Burrow, Burrow was the guy. I remember like draft day being like, and, and Chris was excited about Burrow, just like everybody else. And like, this is the guy to do it. And I just, I worry that is Cincinnati on the right track here? And to, to your point, Mark, the same thing went through my mind, and I did write about it in the Power Rankings, is are they having the right conversations in that building right now? Um because uh, it is a conversation that should be had. Is are we? 
pushing too fast on this quarterback to have him ready for week one uh, as opposed to when he's truly ready to compete again. He's struggling with the mental side of things. We've heard that. It's been dispatched. He's spoken about it. Something to keep an eye on. Well, there's just no, like, well, where is our grounded trust in ownership, in coaching? I mean, that report or that file that Wesley had was like two Warren commissions stacked on top of each other. <laughs> and there was a lot of evidence for him to lean on. I don't think he was about to come back anytime soon. No, no I don't think he was. All right, Greg, you're up. Let's go, uh, let's go to Green Bay. Because I, I don't think it's been talked about enough that David Bakhtiari, you know, the best left tackle in football, I think is trending towards not playing week one, you know, protecting Aaron Rodgers. There's a chance he could go on the PUP list. Sounds more likely maybe they'll keep him off of it and hope uh, hope that he returns early in the season. But that's a big deal for, for an offensive line that also lost their, their center, Corey Lindsley, to the Chargers. And yet I'm not that worried about it because they've been playing Elton Jenks- Jenkins at left tackle. He's a third-year player who's played everywhere. And I'm at the point where I just think Elton Jenkins can like make all the money in the world by playing left tackle. Who else has played guard, center, and then if he does it at left tackle at like a Pro Bowl level in the first three years of his career? He's sneaky, been one of the best uh, draft picks. Gutekunst is kind of stacked, you know, quietly stacked up some pretty good draft picks. His first one is Jair Alexander, an all-pro. Jenkins, if he steps in at left tackle, no one's going to make more money than him. Reportedly, the whispers are just that he's shutting down the Packers' pass rush, that he looks totally natural out there, and that they're not as concerned about the whole left tackle situation. It was a couple weeks ago that Matt LaFleur um, had a comment about the Green Bay's line saying it was sort of as deep as any line he'd really ever been around. That uh, there is a lot, there are a lot of um, valuable moving pieces there. And they're starting a, a rookie at center. They're just going to draft Josh Myers, play him right away, even though he's not like a, a first-round pick or anything, and they, they sound pretty confident. Lafleur just seems confident in general, taking taking shots at Arthur Smith earlier today. I don't know if you saw well, that, Dan. Smith Somebody. took one right back, though. Well, yeah, Smith, yeah, Smith smart started it, said uh, he doesn't Let's spend... Let's hear it. Let's listen. I don't think I'm sweet and, and awesome. Um, you know, I don't spend an hour like Matt Lafleur does looking in the mirror before he runs out there. So you can tell Matt I said What that. did LaFleur say in uh, retort? Well, I'm honored that he would think of me, um, first of all. But, you know, Arthur and I did share a locker room together in Tennessee. So, yeah, I might have been looking in the mirror, getting my clothes right. while well, he was trying to get his hair right with that just for men. Um, <laughs> you know, you guys, you guys know he's younger than me, right? Ooh, that's spicy. You, well, you could that. you could tell Matt Lafleur uh, like prepared <laughs> that, and that's Arthur Smith went back again, and he was glad. He was like, "I'm glad, you know, Matt spent like another day preparing that joke uh, to come back at me." It does feel like if <laughs> if I'm in a, the locker room in Tennessee, and that's where they were teammates, I guess you know, colleagues uh, on the same staff with the Titans. Like I'm taking Arthur Smith kind of in a jab back and forth. It feels like Lafleur is not going to be as quick. Not the first like coach, because we don't know him that well, that I would have predicted to come out with such a burning arrow that goes right through Matt LaFleur. I mean, that was a pretty nice jab by Smith. Yeah, that but nothing... Keith Hansis. I was going to say, nothing cuts as deep as Keith Hansis casually no. tossing off. He looks like a bearded boy. <laughs> hey, Danny, I like this LaFleur guy, but uh kind of looks like a bearded boy, doesn't he? <laughs> I wanted to talk some Packers because I do feel like all we did was, like, was talk about Aaron Rodgers' psychodrama all offseason. Yeah, that's not, very that's little not focus our fault. on that's the football of it all. So I was like looking for that's some good. sort of good Packers nugget. That ain't our fault. 
Good nug. Good nug. And yeah, I have refused. I, I don't want to go back down this road because I know it's very unpopular in the public forum to say anything critical of Aaron Rodgers and his role and what happened over the summer. Uh, uh, public opinion was very much in your favor, Greg, over really? Aaron Rodgers. Yo, you, guys are, you guys are hearing the, you know, Mark, Mark and you have been hearing the, the chirping too much. Apparently, you were worried about uh, it. I, I don't mind the chirping. It's just, it's okay to be aware of what's around you as well, Greg. And I'm just saying, like, that's fine. If, if everyone thinks Aaron Rodgers is a god and there's nothing he could do that is wrong and everything that the management does uh, is wrong, that that is what it is. But can we at least allow that Brian Gutekunst, the guy that Rodgers has been trying to get fired for six months, has actually done a lot to help Aaron Rodgers, whether he sees it or not in his time at the helm? Or will we at least allow that? No, we, can't, we will Gutekunst not allow it. The subreddit will not allow number it. One? It, they, they, it was like 98% to 2%. Like, Greg is so smart. Dan and Mark don't know what they're doing. This, what they're I, talking I, I'm about. I'm getting like, daily please. things about this. You got to turn tune these clowns out. You got to tune them out. No, well, I this think was it's... weeks ago, but it was a shocking response to what I thought was a two-sided conversation. <laughs> you, you're absolutely right. By the way, Gutekunst, here's what he did to start. He fired Mike McCarthy. We'll get to Hard Knocks later. later but um, I think... Mm, Goody. The, you know, the... Uh, the, the first decisions he's made have all been great. Drafting yeah. Jair with his first pick. Hiring so they, Matt LaFleur, that's worked out great. Like, back-to-back 13-win seasons. You, you're right. You're absolutely Let's right. Let's fire him, though, because uh, we decided to not keep uh, Jake Kumaro or whoever the <laughs> Rodgers was on about. I don't know. But, uh, no, we're wrong, Mark. Oh, no, clearly. Uh, who's up? Mark? Uh, it's me. I'm going to go to Jacksonville. Uh, I, number one, I, I want to talk about the Jaguars because I cannot think of a team that has been to me more blasé and um, passable and don't need to watch them in, for years on end. But now I cannot wait to see even their preseason games to see what's going on here because it's a completely to me. I think the offense under Urban Meyer has a chance to be productive right away. I mean, number one, Gardner Minshew has put in a bad position the past couple of years. But you look at the talent on the offense right now. It starts with Trevor Lawrence, obviously. If he is what, what as he becomes as advertised, everything changes. Marvin Jones, DJ Chark, I know he's going through something right now. LaVisca Chenault, who I think is going to be great. Those are solid wideouts, better than some of the wideout rooms around the league. James Robinson, obviously, last year. Rookie Travis Etienne, who has been described as, you know, moving all over the field and totally uncoverable as a running back catches, catching passes out of the backfield. I think they're going to be a run-heavy, one of the most run-heavy teams in the league. And I kind of just can't wait to see it because it's the Urban Meyer factor, too. I, these things, sometimes they work out. Sometimes they're total disasters. If you're a college coach that figures out, I don't want to do this NFL thing. But he has said over and over, this is not a four-year rebuilding plan. We are here to win right now. And inside that division, I'm not saying that they're a playoff team at all. There are a lot of issues and some weaknesses there. But I would not be surprised to see them go from one win to like seven or eight. I really have a feeling that they're going to be one of the bigger stories of the year. Well, while the, as the Texans have devolved into farce and the Colts having all their issues, of course, um, and even the Titans now adjusting to life uh, without their play caller, um, the AFC South really needed some juice. And yeah, I think that that's what Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer provide i i totally i could see that i mean it really does a lot of it goes back to lawrence not to oversimplify right. it but if he is as special as people say 
um, they are going to make a leap. And they lost 15 straight games to end of last season, and they went in the tank. Um, so it's going to be hard not to be better, but how much better will be interesting to see. When you look Your at Andrew Luck's first season, they, they, went, they became a playoff team after being a complete disaster the year before. It's not impossible. There's a lot of money in the offensive line. I don't know if it's a great offensive line. It, I don't think it's great. They drafted Walker Little, who's my son's new favorite player. Just like <laughs> saw his name on the draft and has been asking about him. I'm like, yeah, and I and uh, is reportedly looking good, uh, good in Jaguars camp over there. But I I do wonder about like the Urban Meyer bringing some of the college stuff to him. I'm fascinated by this thing he's been doing in practice where it's like they have this winners and losers session and like they have an announcement. It's like Robinson versus. Jack, and then like the, the you know they have the matchup and they declare a winner and a loser after each one, and they keep they keep track of it. And Urban Meyer was like, "Well, this is too important. These are like people's livelihoods. I want to keep track." And like that, he's saying that the wins and losses metric, as you know, as he was referring to the data, will inform him in terms of like who makes the team and the depth charts and all this. And it's like it's a big rah rah college thing uh, every day at Jaguars camp. Makes it sounds like it'd be fun camp to go to and watch at least. Whispers. Listen, I'm not going to panic about uh, Zach Wilson. I, I have a different outlook on the Jets quarterback situation than I've had in the past. Certainly different than Sam Sam Darnold, who I was all in and on and truly believed in, and it didn't work out. I don't know about Wilson. We'll see. We'll see. I've always been kind of, uh, I wouldn't say on the fence about Zach Wilson, but it just felt like a gamble when it happened, and... Um, maybe he'll turn into a superstar and be the Mormon Mahomes, but I'm fully prepared, put it that way, for this to go the other direction. Yeah. With that in mind, um, he has not played well in recent practices, and it started It started with the green and white scrimmage, which they hold every year. <clears throat> well, they didn't last year, but last year didn't happen. <laughs> you hear me? It never happened. Um, where they have 20,000 people in MetLife Stadium, and Wilson struggled mightily uh, through that, uh, scrimmage, 11 of 24, 112 yards, two picks. And then he took those struggles into practice um, in, uh, as the week went on, and he's been having some issues, and a lot of this ties back to uh, where they're at in the, the install of the offense, which they are completing now. And once they started live play calling in the seventh practice, Wilson went from being this really bright spot in camp to all of a sudden he's struggling. And... My overall takeaway, and this is maybe a message to fellow Jets fans that are listening right now, is like, just chill out. Don't freak out. This doesn't mean that Wilson is a bust. Um, but it does remind you also that this is going, there's going to be a learning curve here. Hopefully there's more highs than lows. But the idea that Zach Wilson at 22 years old coming out of that program at BYU against that level of competition was ever going to step right in and be a, a dominant force in the NFL there's going to be some really bad days, and I, I'm prepared for that. And the hope is is that there will be good days as well. So once he gets more comfortable, the install is complete. He gets more into the the vibe of things. Hopefully, he's making progress heading into week one. My concern here is if he if he kind of falls into some mental funk here, in addition to the physical, and he's trying to overthink. The Jets don't have a plan B here, and he could right. potentially go into week one uh, in a not a great place mentally. And preparation-wise, and then things can snowball, and you know the New York media is going to be all over that if that happens. So keep an eye on the situation. Hopefully next time this week there will be reports that he's bounced back, but this has not been a good week for the number two overall pick. I mean, we also live in insane times where first-round quarterbacks, because this has happened a few times, are expected to come in and look 
like the world savior right away. I mean, it just seems so natural that he'd go through some ups and downs. It's probably a tough offense to learn, but the Shanahan offense is also great for quarterbacks. Um, The one thing that you mentioned, because this is where you kind of lose some of these guys, and I think it happened to Darnold to some degree. I can think of a billion Browns quarterbacks that it happened to all around the league too, where if that first season they don't have someone they can kind of put in to give him a pause if he needs a week just to regroup. If he's got to go in there, there's good things that can happen for 17 games, battle-tested, but also it could just shake you for for years to come. And I like I think this Jets regime, regime though, you don't see that happening. If, if it were the past one or the past 25, I'd be concerned. And, and the, I think that's on the quarter. Like, if the quarterback's going to be a good pro... I think they can shake that stuff off. Alex Smith, Eli Manning, two of the worst rookie quarterbacks I've ever seen. It shook it off. I think had the careers that they were they were destined to have. I do think Zach Wilson will be supported by a much better offensive line. Could be very good. Pretty good weapons around him and in a potentially good defense. I do look at that schedule though. You're right, Dan. All the other rookie quarterbacks have you know, someone they're competing with, or even in Lawrence's case, not that Lawrence isn't going to play every game, but like, you know, a quality backup in the Jets, you know, have James White or James Morgan, they might want to, they might want to look into that. And they might, they play the Patriots and the Broncos weeks two and three. So those are two defenses that will be ready to send a lot at Zach Wilson and see how he responds. I just, uh, you know, and I was saying that, you know, two months ago that it felt a little off to me that they have not built in any any security blanket behind him and but i think a big part of that goes back to an overall organizational above the treetops uh, viewpoint to use some corpo corpo jargon that this is the the new era of the jets and it's going to be with the new head coach and the gm who's fully in control and this young quarterback who was picked by the people that are in the building um, but maybe it's better to have a little nuance to your organizational game plan. Uh, do you want to go around one more time? Sure. Ooh, yeah. I got a lot. Um, what should I go with? I think how about Patrick Robinson retiring with the Saints? Um, I don't know if this is a whisper as much as a transaction, uh, but I think if you want to put the Saints changes on defense in perspective, they cut this guy, Ken Crawley, a few years ago because they were so deep at cornerback that they didn't need him anymore. He, he had killed them in multiple <laughs> situations in the playoffs and all this stuff. Uh, Patrick Robinson at that time was probably like their fourth or fifth cornerback. They came into this uh, training camp with Patrick Robinson starting, basically, on the outside, which he hadn't done and played a full season in like almost nine years. Then he retires halfway through camp. Michael Thomas isn't returning their calls. Onyemata is suspended. Suddenly, Crawley, the guy that was like seventh on the depth chart just a year or two ago, is number two now. They're playing their, their young kid, Adebo, I think, at linebacker. Some, too, who we thought wait, he would play cornerback. It's like, I don't know, man. There's some weird stuff going on in New Orleans, and they are, they are counting are you on Marquez Calloway. I oh, know you, the way I'm the way off. Mark talks about England, you talk about New Orleans as your true home. <laughs> I love the city, and yeah. I I think Jameis Winston is gonna is a better player than people give him credit for. But I'm I think the downside of this team is quite low. It's last place total team and transition material i mean i i you know they've been through so much but if they won seven games i wouldn't be surprised all right how I about mean, this? a starter retired in the middle of camp at, at their worst position too and it's just like <laughs> things great. like this just weird things keep happening i keep thinking back i keep thinking back to that year where sean payton um was suspended for the year and they they had do a your huge, job 
poster of Sean Payton <laughs> looming over all their practices. I don't know why, but I just keep thinking of that. It's my favorite. It's one of my favorite <laughs> stupid football things of all time. It's like, listen, we got jobbed and they stole our coach from us, but we know how to straighten this out. Let's build a like uh, a mural of like the dictator of North Korea. And put it up in the practice with giant lettering that says "Do your job." It was All like right, third, it was Sean's like a thirty-foot flag that was hanging over everything. It's not even their moniker. It was I mean, crazy. It really was like a North Korea thing. That's well but you, put. You can. I think we could all see them if the wheels fall off going six and eleven this year. Yeah. Does anybody here see them going eleven and six? I think if like a mil- a million things went right, Sean Payton's pulled some magic out uh over the years that are like it, i don't think you can totally take it off the table but it seems pretty darn unlikely i mean very unlikely they could have wins inflated if like for instance the falcons never got started and the panthers and sam darnold totally crumble as a duo they, they like what they're getting there. from caesar ruiz who was the, their first round pick last year who's now at guard if he was good their offensive line might be the i would probably be my pick as the number one offensive line in football so that is something that doesn't tend to get mentioned and they are they could be incredible up front and they you know since they had that huge draft class i believe it was 2017 um they've been you know money in the bank as a double digit team a, a true playoff super bowl contender they made deep runs in the playoffs they got ripped off on a super bowl bid uh, by that the uh, nickel roby coleman um play um and it makes you think oh they're like the patriots like they've gone 10 and 6 or 11 and 5 or 12 and 4 every year for the past 18 years so they'll figure it out but no they actually before that big draft they went 7 and 9 three years in a row so it's not right. like and people are talking to Sean Payton's job safe and all this other stuff. He's going to the Cowboys. Like, so it's not inconceivable that the Saints could take a step back under Sean Payton. It's happened before. They feel like the 2020 Patriots, except now yeah, they it'll do. be 7 and 10, <clears throat> except instead of 7 and 9. Uh, Mark. All right. Uh, a little off the field um, nugget from the Chargers, who I think one of the things about the Chargers that was kind of put on, put on ice last year was with no fans, we don't have to worry about you know the optics of the Chargers having 7,000 people in their stadium and 80,000 Raiders fans. And so now it's like, where are we with that? And I read this little nugget this morning that the Chargers actually, they, according to the team, they have blown past the average season ticket sales from their final 20 years in San Diego. The number right now, um, that number averaged back then about 45,000. It is well beyond that, they say, at this point, at least, you know, tangibly beyond it. And that means that, you know, from a visual sense, it's not going to be as bad as we thought. Um, This was just always on my radar because I never thought that L.A. should have two football teams. And had this been a total disaster, it would be a huge talking point. The NFL wants nothing to do with that. And, you know, you're still probably going to get 20,000, 30,000 fans from the other team, which happened to them in San Diego, but it doesn't sound like a white-hot disaster. I, you know, I, I'm glad you brought this up because I saw this last week and I, I had the same initial reaction as you. I mean, they're not out of the woods yet because, first of all, this is a very fickle town. Um, I mean, the Lakers are always going to draw. The Dodgers always draw extremely well. Um, the Kings have a really fervent fan base, and you could point, and then, of course, the college teams, USC, UCLA. I mean, it's, it is a really good sports town, but you can get lost in the shuffle, and if the Chargers get off to a bad start, all those people that bought season tickets, well, what are they going to do? They're going to turn around and say, I'm not going to go see these guys. I'm not going to spend the money and, you know, 
pay $80 to park at the new stadium and then watch them lose in the last minute. I'm going to sell this to some insane Steelers fan and, and make a profit. So I don't think they're out mm-hmm. of the woods, but it is promising. I mean, it feels like, step. I don't know, I haven't met anybody yet. I, I don't ha- no, have a lot of Charger fans in the Los Angeles area that I've interacted yet with, but this data tells us that they're out there. I know one. I know one. I know one. A one. guy I met at the bar when we watched <laughs> the soccer it. match. A friend of, yeah, dad of a, of a, <laughs> one of my kids' friends. I, um, I think they would not uh, wish the pandemic on anyone, but if any team sort of uh, benefited, find, you know, from the pandemic in any way it was them you know avoiding last season that which would have been awkward i don't think there was much build up and but then suddenly you have herbert who's most one of the most yep. exciting young quarterbacks in the league and i think we've seen at, at a lot of sporting events in the us the pent up demand to just be back among people and root on live sports is different than it was before i am seeing this across sports it's not just the nfl and i'm sure the nfl is going to get a little bit of a a boost from that assuming you know things don't get totally dark in the coming weeks and you could see the chargers being a team because they are buzzier because of what happened last year where you get like the guy the dad that moved to la and like he was a let's say a dolphins fan or a jets fan or something probably not jets they're too loyal they move to la they reboot all their loyalties and like bring their kids in because they want their kids to watch football live and they all become chargers fans i mean it's like the rams or by the way don't have the roots they claim to in this city either right now i mean it was 30 25 years ago they they don't i mean i think they're both you knew the dagger was coming say that i'm just saying the chargers the chargers were birch yikes the chargers q rating was so low (laughs) A year ago at this time, I think it's vastly changed, and it's gonna. I think you're gonna get people curious about that team if they get if they stay hot. Herbert was a godsend, and yep. and we'll see if he continues on his trajectory. I'm gonna do a quick double banger out of the NFC East. And NJ Advanced Media's Mike K reported that Jalen Hurts has quote heavily targeted Dallas Goddard. Of course, he's a tight end on the rise, but also Zach Ertz. In training camp, you remember Zach Ertz, the Super Bowl hero. He'll never have to buy another meal in insert city here. Like he, Ertz is in that club. His game-winning uh, touchdown catch against the Patriots. Um, and I just thought that was interesting after an offseason of uh, speculation that Ertz would be uh, leaving town. And maybe he still will. They could still trade Ertz hypothetically uh, before the season starts. But the fact that he's having a good camp does add a little bit more credence to the idea that Okay, he's still just 30 years old. Maybe he was just banged up last year. Maybe he's still a player. And the fact that Jalen Hurts threw to his tight ends a, a third of the time in his playing time last year, maybe it's a good idea to have two tight ends uh, that can play the guitar. And then over in Dallas, and we'll get to them more thoroughly with hard knocks, but I just want to mention here that Michael Gallup, um, according to the Dallas Morning News, is seeing more work in the slot, which I like because Michael Gallup, I, it's almost like I don't know if the Cowboys know what to do with him. And he's such a great talent, and it seems like they just say, go run deep, and every once in a while we'll throw it your way. If maybe you could carve out a more nuanced niche to him in the game plan, I think he could be uh, a real stud receiver. He's, I think, one of the more underrated uh, wideouts in the NFC. They're going to be so hard to cover because if Cooper is healthy, I can't think of a trio in the NFL that can all do everything like those three. They're all very they're all diverse, especially if Gallup is moving outside. He he probably would be the one of the three that, you know, you you think he has m- mostly one trick, which is 
going deep down the field. He's a great boundary guy. But the three, I mean, CeeDee Lamb can do everything. Amari Cooper can do everything. You got Gallup cross-training. Like, good luck trying to come up with a defense to, to stop that. And by the way, they did it. We saw them do it for the first month of the season before Dak Prescott right. went down. I mean, he was on route to an MVP-type season. And if you'll allow me, just because I think it's very important, uh, given the st- status of the world right now, um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers running back Leonard Fournette, um, who told reporters a couple weeks back that he wanted to learn more about the vaccine. He has now updated his stance. He said, we're almost there. So Dr. Fournette is almost there in, in the research and deep uh, research, the digging on the vaccine. And this podcast will keep you up to date on Fournette's research and, and when it's completed. The numbers we're, have we're skyrocketed. Uh, 91% of the right, league. We're close. 91%. Of the league has gotten at least the first jab. That's pretty high. I mean, it was like 50 on June 15th. Right. We're almost there. We're almost there. (laughs) Good whispers. I was like, do I have a speed round whispers? Did you want to throw one in there? I don't want to. No. Let's let's go. Let's go. Is Cam Wolf here? Let's talk to Cam. Let's welcome him in. He is, of course, the newcomer. Uh, at NFL Network, a reporter, and uh, hopefully the hazing hasn't been too rough. I know he did some work with Rap Sheet and, you know, Rappaport. He could be real rough on the newbie. So hopefully we'll check in on that. How is the great Cameron Wolf, who's been doing a lot of work for us at the network? First of all, welcome aboard. And has Rap Sheet been cool or was he a jerk? Be honest. <laughs> he was good, man. I can't, I, I can't complain. I, I was preparing for everything. They were telling me it was going to be hazing. I was prepared to... <laughs> Have to carry his mic and do all kinds of uh, rookie hazing, but he was actually pretty good. You know, I don't know if he was just trying to trying to sugar me up the first day, but you know, he was, he was let me take lead on uh, on air and you know not tripping over me and and all types of things. So he gave me a good welcome. <laughs> cool, man. Well, welcome aboard. And I know you're you're based in Florida and you're doing a lot of Dolphins coverage for us. You've also done some Panthers coverage. But let's start with the Miami football team, and they got the deal done with Xavier Howard. I imagine that was a huge relief for the entire organization, and it allows them to kind of move forward. What is the vibe around the team post-Xavian uh, drama? Man, that was a big weight off of everyone's shoulders, especially if you're a Dolphins fan. You know, Xavier Howard is the best player on that team. I don't think there's really any question. And, hmm. you know, They've already seen this happen two or three times over the last few years. You know, Mika Fitzpatrick gets traded. Jeremy Tunsil gets traded. It's like, man, we can't trade our best player every year, can we? So I I think, you know, early in the offseason, he had requested a trade. He wanted this new deal. But the reality was he never truly wanted to trade. He just wanted the respect that comes with money. And, you know, he didn't feel that. So I think that there is a lot of ease of tension over the last three or four days with, with him being sort of satisfied. I don't know if it's fully finished. I think maybe if he has another great year, we revisit this next offseason. But at least for now, for 2021, it seems like everyone's on the same page. The way Brian Flores' defense is, they need man-to-man, shut down corners. And Xavier Howard is one of the best in the league. So I think that helps everyone. The team, His teammates love him. And uh, it's a lot easier when you don't have to tiptoe around questions about why X isn't here, you know, try to pick sides on whether you're with the team or you're with X. So uh, that was their biggest maybe hurdle coming into camp. And it seems like they've overcome it. Yeah, are you wearing like a, 
a self-branded shirt. Maybe that's why Rap Sheet didn't give you any of the business. Like if you <laughs> yeah, come nice. in, that's a power move. Like I'm at the new company. What does your shirt say? The Wolf Pack. The Wolf so Pack. So you're you're like another Steve Wolf. You're like yeah, Colleen is yeah. you know a, a regular on this show. That's another Sea Wolf. Any like tension there? Like what what's going on between you two? Greg, right please. Oh no. Oh no, that's that's no no no. We're we're a wolf pack. We're a family. Um, you know, of course, of course, she's she's the, the she's the highest ranking sea wolf in the wolf pack. You know, I'm just the new cub, but we wolves we stick together. So um, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a stronger. As you guys know, when wolf packs are together, they're stronger in pairs sure. than they are as singles. So um, me and Colleen have already talked. We're, you know, you guys are not going to hear the last of this, this wolf mm. brand. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to hit this. No, I'm until impressed. They tell us we've got to stop. <laughs> I like, like the words <laughs> in their own names too. I think it's a strong, it's a strong move. This is the worst podcast, by the way. It's just like our, all our questions who are dolphins and Panthers reporter right now are just like, <laughs> do you hate this new guy you work with? Do you hate this new person? Do, are they nice to you? Are they mean to you? <laughs> <laughs> Mark, give us get us on track. Give us a. I, give us I a do have a. I have something about the Dolphins that on our show I've raised many times as just the concern. I just want to know how it's going to work. You've got two offensive coordinators, Eric Studsville, George Godsey, <laughs> your and you know, and I'm hearing that the offense has changed a lot. Miles Gaskin had comments saying, you know, it's going to look real different, more motion. There's more deep passing. It's more flexible. I mean, what is it going to look like? And can you just tell me? How did these two guys work together and like who gets the blame if like the offense crumbles and like who do fans decide to point fingers at? It just feels a little bit atypical to me. Is there a Batman and a Robin in this mix? How does it how mm. is it truly gonna break down here, Kim? Yeah, I think they're gonna thumb wrestle every game so you can call plays and uh, the winner is gonna be at a call. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um yeah, no, they they've defined the roles. I think I think what helps is that, you know, George Gossi coming from more of a pad background. Uh, Eric Studisville is coming from more of a run background. So although they don't have pass game coordinator and run game coordinators, you can kind of look at it as maybe something of that elk. We've seen that in the past with teams who've had head coaches that are offensive offensive coordinators, quote unquote, they'll have run game coordinators, they'll have offensive coordinators. So um, I think that they'll, they'll collaborate, but I think you'll see them fall a lot in their lane. You know, George Gotti will probably have the heavier hand on the passing games. He's worked with quarterbacks in the past. He spent all of last season, the second half of last season, working with Tua, being the guy who's directly in his ear. So I'd anticipate that George Gotti would have a lot more contact in the quarter room and in the passing game where Eric, he's been a running back coach his whole career, so he's going to be having a lot more impact in the in the running game as with the offensive line and the protection. So they haven't quote unquote named the play caller. I have an idea of who I believe the play caller will be, but I can't confirm that yet. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna good reporter and it. just kind of let it free for now. <laughs> yeah, sit on it until I can get it confirmed. But I, I know they know who the guy is. There's gonna be one play caller. There's not gonna be you know a back and forth where hey. But I think that that what helps them, and we saw it last week because George Gatsy tested positive for COVID and he was out for a week. You have two instead of one so in this COVID era it probably helps you just in case something happens that another guy can step in and also it doubles. helps you Good to have doubles have a, yeah 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 he got, he got doubles and it helps with a little versatility right because you know right. you're you're playing your game plan against the Patriots one week you want to run the ball 40 times it's probably going to be an Eric Studisville game plan you know and then you're playing Kansas City and you got to keep up with Patrick Mahomes you know you're probably going to have a George Gossie led game plan so I, I think that's probably how it's envisioned um, but to kind of jump off what you were talking about earlier, it, it is going to be different from what I've heard. The three words I've heard have been flexibility, motion, 
and deep balls, which are three things that are pretty simple to us. But if you watch the Dolphins offense last year, they did all three of those things. So that's probably a good word, good way to start for them to try to get this, uh, get Tua and the offense in, in a better situation. I'm sort of done doubting them. Like you were there for the fish tank season, as we dubbed it uh, a couple years ago, and they ended up being yeah. way more competitive <laughs> than anyone thought. I went into last season thinking they were like a bottom five roster just in terms of talent. And then if you actually yeah. look at the big free agent money that they spent, most of it w- went terribly. And yet somehow <laughs> they show up on Sundays and they're like dynamic and there's something there that seems like it's greater than the sum of their parts. You've been there for the, for the Brian Flores era, I guess just from your perspective, like what is that? Cause I, I think they've really overachieved back to back years and I have doubts about them again this year yet. Now, having learned from the last couple of years, I'm kind of done doubting them and figuring that, that they'll look a little better than they do on paper. Must be something in the fish tank, to use your word. <laughs> um, but I, I think that when you look at all of it, it's got to start with the head coach, you know, and I think that they made a good hire in Brian Flores. I think he's a guy a lot of people were afraid when you hire these Patriot assistants. Who are they going to be? Are they going to be copycats for Bill Belichick? And so far, he's been his own guy. and I think he's earned a lot of respect. And I think he's maximized those teams. That year, 2019, um, that first month, month and a half of that year was miserable. I'm walking in the locker room and guys are just, you know, it's it's somber. It felt like somebody, a funeral, you walk in there every Sunday. And there was so much turnover that I had guys asking me, you know, where – Where's the restroom? Where, where? How do I go? They just showed up on a Saturday and they got to play, you know, playing in the spec. So it was a lot of lot of stuff going on. But I remember halfway through that year, that was a big focus point for them when I think Ryan Fitzpatrick came in that game. And I think Brian Flores earned a lot of respect. And that team sort of earned respect that, hey, we can be better than our talent says. So on paper this year, I think they're an average team, like you said. I think on paper, you look at them, you know, maybe a playoff team, maybe – you know, maybe seven and ten, eight and nine, however you want to kind of rank them. But I, I, I think that they have a little bit of magic in this defense, and particularly how they scheme this defense up. And really, it's all on Tua. Tua plays better than he did last year, um, which you know, obviously, is a low bar. Then I think there's no reason why they can't push for the playoffs, one of those wild card spots in the AFC. Man, if the if the Dolphins go in a positive direction this year and the Patriots improve and we know what the bills are. That's going to be a really interesting division, especially if the jets are also competitive, at least um, before you go, Cam, you were also at Panthers camp. And um, I wrote a little about this recently and I saw you reported it on as well. You, you when you take a step back and you look at the Carolina offense, um, it, it's actually, you don't have to squint to see it as no. a, as a unit that can move and score points and make them potentially dangerous. What were you seeing when you were uh, boots on the ground there? Yeah. You know, I'm a big fancy football guy. So you start looking at their roster and you start seeing some names, you know, Christian McCaffrey, is he health? If he's healthy, he's top three, top five back in the league, you know, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, both of those guys had a thousand yards last year, you know, um, and, and you bring in Sam Donald and he's a question mark, right? You know, he's the, the, the Tua quote unquote of this, of this offense where we just don't know what we're going to get. Um, and their big thing for that for him is kind of what we were talking about. You guys have you have weapons. You don't have to be Superman. You don't have to you know throw all these interceptions that you threw with the Jets. You know a dump off isn't to the Christian McCaffrey. Is it check down Charlie? It might be a touchdown. You know. So I think they're trying, and I don't know if they're going to be effective or not. I can't sit here and tell you that that the Sam Darnold experiment is going to work. But I think their focus is let's simplify things for him. Let's maybe hope that he can have a Ryan Tannehill type turnaround where we put him in a system with Joe Brady. 
we made things, you know, from what I heard, the Jets kind of threw, threw the book at him and said, hey, learn, learn, learn. So maybe they simplify things. Maybe they tell him to focus on your weapons. They've got a good defensive front. There's no reason why they can't be the second best team in that division, in my, my opinion. Ooh, Mark is loving this. He's on Matt Rule corner. He hasn't left. He's loving it. I dig Matt Rule. Very good. Uh, Cam, again, welcome aboard. It's great to have you, and uh, best of luck uh, in your maiden voyage here with NFL Network, and uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch down the line. we got to get both Wolves on at the same time. Let's do it. No, that's their thing. Let's do it. That's their thing. Seems we don't possible. want to infringe on their IP, but, but that's up to them ultimately. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we'll Cam. we'll get we'll get something together. But uh, appreciate y'all. It was fun. What to do it? All right, man. Thank you. Thanks, Cam. There he goes, Cam Wolf. Actually, I never asked him if he's okay with Cam, but Cameron Wolf. There didn't didn't seem not okay. Dan Arnold was another uh, guy that's getting some pop. A uh, little abbreviated whisper here: the tight end uh, that the Panthers brought in. You, yeah, but it all goes back, and and you gave I think. Arnold a negative 47.3 mark uh greg in our uh division power ranking segment so if Darnold can't play the guitar none of this matters but they're hoping for the post gaze bump basically right the, i mean the, the Tannehill post gaze bump we'll see. that's exactly right um, i will say that there have been some very clunky sam Darnold to dan arnold tweets it's just like the most predictable um, you know, flurry of like kind of clunky wordplay stuff going on out on Twitter. Dan Arnold is, I think, an interesting player, but the 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 the, the way the tweets have come out to me mm. is ponderous. is it because Darnold and Arnold is simply in the same sense, it, or are people exactly having fun it with it? No, oh, okay. no, they're an, both things, both things. Yes. All right, everybody out there, you heard Mark. Clean it up. <laughs> get that get that murkin out of there, not the mirth. All right, before we go, and this is spoiler alert now to. Um, all the um, UK listeners and in other international territories that haven't had access yet to the Hard Knocks premiere. Uh, I did connect with Handsome Hank, our UK ambassador in all things here at NFL Media. He said that you could, Hard Knocks will be up and in your uh, screens Thursday afternoon or Thursday night on the Game Pass app. And um, I believe Sky Sports will also be airing it uh, on Thursday or Friday. So check that out. As for the rest of you, let's dig into it. The premiere, Tuesday night, Dallas Cowboys. And um, I'll start here. The Cowboys, yes, it has been a 25-year drought. Um, 26, actually, since they've been to the Super Bowl. And you could say that's going to take some of the shine off the organization. And in some ways it has. But in other ways, the Cowboys are as um, high profile as they've ever been. And I think it's it, it's just fun to have them because even if they're not successful, they're always interesting to me. And they and they have star power. And that's that's important for hard knocks. So when the show opens, I think it was I think it was a noted it was something that was a calculated move by Hard Knocks producers. When the cold open of the show is we're in tight with Dak Prescott, one of the most recognizable figures in uh, pro football, and he's speaking intimately about his, the struggles of 2020 with the death of his brother and then the the horrible injury sustained against the Giants six months later. Um, we're off and running, and that was what I took away from the premiere episode, that this is just going to be fun with all these big stars right all the way up to the top where Jerry Jones, who's going to obviously be a big presence all through the five weeks. There wasn't even, in episode one, there wasn't the... Here's the underdog, and that's coming because it always comes in hard knocks. Here's the underdog seventh-round pick or the street uh, free agent who's trying to make the team. 
they said, no, we were, this is the Cowboys. This is the star. And that's what we're going to lean on this premiere. Um, and I like that. Um, so that was an initial takeaway I had. Uh, Greg, what did you think about the premiere? Yeah, it was different format. Everyone says it's always like the same thing every year. It really wasn't. It might have been COVID Im- impacted or they may- they also just sort of made the decision. There's no build up to it. It was just like, let's get on the practice field. There's a lot of news here. Usually there isn't. Number one, Dak Prescott says he had two surgeries, not one. Right off the bat, no one knew that. Uh, number two, we see we see what Jay Glazer had sort of reported about that it was this you know this muscle injury that's more common in baseball. Which, by the way, doesn't sound like a good thing. It's like ah, oh, we're we're calling the Rangers medical staff because we don't know how to handle this. I, I thought it was very telling when Troy Aikman said on the Fox broadcast, like. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably a little more serious than people think when everyone, everyone, you know, working for our company and everywhere else immediately, all they said about Dak's injury is like, oh, it's not a concern at all. Well, you saw what a concern it was like to Dak Prescott. And I, to me, it makes me a little concerned about what's coming up. You saw how important it was to him, to the coaches, to everyone like that. He's uh, on the field or not. But the fact that like him and Zeke are like best buddies and they're trying to, they're like making a buddy comedy out of it. And the biggest stars are totally fine with the cameras there. And that, you know, that starts with Jerry Jones. I mean, that's going to make it, I think a more fun. Well, how about to that point, Mike McCarthy in one of those coaches meetings, they have this (laughs) very, I mean, hard to understand as an outsider, but they have this GPS tracking data. That it's a metric that tracks how much activity a player has in a given practice. And Dak, like, oh, where was Dak at? 576. And McCarthy's like, whoa, that's way too much. And then they, they reeled him back, put him on a pitch count, and, and Dak's frustrated. But then, sure enough, he shows up a couple practices later with a bad arm. And, and Mark, it did it make me think all these things in the, in the edit can make things, A, look like B when that's not necessarily the case. But it did at least insinuate on some level that the Cowboys maybe brought him back too fast initially, and that led to uh, the injury. Yeah, by their own words. I think you're exactly right. And, you know, I, I think the thing, the thing that is great about this show is even though we have an impression of Dak Prescott, and we kind of know how rough life has been for him over the last two years. You mentioned losing his brother and the injury um, that I just came away knowing him. I feeling like I had a whole different um, experience with Dak Prescott. I mean, first of all, I wanted to watch the show with my children, but um, Dak Prescott is a quarterback who drops about 72 F-bombs in this episode. A lot of F-bombs um, and hard knocks in I mean, general. Mark McCarthy, too. You yeah, keep I mean, there was, there, were, there was a lot of language, but you know what? Like, I kind of loved um, him pushing back on not wanting to be put out of practice like just I think he came across to me as far more determined and fiery than I imagine I think Zeke Elliott is sort of a wonderful foil for him because Zeke Elliott you know I remember I once talked to his mom about a Mother's Day piece in their relationship and she sort of said candidly like Zeke is a big boy like he you know we saw he had never really wrapped a present before that he's operating in a bit of a different world than other adults too. I thought that was really good. Um, the part that gripped me, and I, I know, Dan, I think you maybe were not as won over this by this, was John Bones Fassel um, digging into <laughs> the process of having a vasectomy and then having it reversed. I don't understand um, personally why anyone on the planet is having that operation to begin with, but then I want to know why it was reversed. But I thought that, you know, Bones Fassel's a guy that's kind of seems like... Um, hired by the studios to show up in Hard Knocks uh, every couple of years and, like, steal the scene. And to me, I loved it. I think the kids... The players said, were fascinated by it. They wanted, I think some were. I think they, some could not figure out what was going on. I mean, no, why would, I, didn't, I, I mean, I thought it was just striking. All of a sudden, we cut to the scene, and Bones is like, 
talking about the surgery on his balls. And he and right. he's and and he goes into it in the players because they're a bunch of twenty three year old dudes. It's the last thing they're ever thinking about is vasectomies. When you get to be our age. Uh, you you become you know people that have had the procedure done. I don't and get you, it at all. But you and you might them. get you might get some actual heat from certain uh, people in your life to undergo such a procedure. Um, that's a decision that people need to make. But after all that, and I thought the players, some players were kind of interested in it and like kind of making sense. So other players are just looking at him like he had a third elbow growing out of his forehead. <laughs> and I thought that, and then just the bomb at the end, the twist. It's like, oh, yeah, and then, you know, they had to put me under again when uh, when they reversed it. And it was like everyone, you know, you think of Michael Scott in the office, snip, snap, snip, snap. <laughs> like, what what happened? What's the backstory? I need to know more about right. it. Right. Well, I, it was we just need to out dig of nowhere. Again. Yeah. I mean, I, my, my guess would be that he's, he wants to have children again. You know, that would that would be the, the guess. I uh, know, maybe, but... Maybe I a mean, new situation. Who, who knows? Uh, the coaches, <laughs> though, like... <laughs> I don't know. I've had Greg, this... very very somber, and he's like, "Listen, this is what really happened." He, I mean, it's you guys are making it like a big mystery. What's the story? He wants to have no, kids. No, he's probably was controlled the first time around, and then he retook control. I think wow. there's more to the story. I would like to know why. That's a big decision to get the surgery and then to reverse it. Is also, I, I, I um, know. I've always had like a an image of Mike McCarthy, and I was I was pretty hard on him. I think towards the end of the Packers run, just the way he ran the offense, and just. Like is he connecting to the this to his team and I don't know when he started going with the mojo moment and when he started and the the players seemed to like it but when he started talking about Charlie around and Harry High School I'm just like this dude's corny this dude's so corny <laughs> let's uh, let's listen to a little bit of the uh, the mojo moment which is the motivational ploy that he's building into the camp experience at whatever point in practice okay there's going to be a mojo moment when it's time for additional confidence charisma and performance no matter what the situation <laughs> I think I smell a mojo moment coming <laughs> it's time for a mojo moment that's the announcer right, that's good mojo moment give me the defense on the wall side mojo mojo offense over here Mojo moment, yeah. Hey, you look like you fired up for some mojo moment here. Oh, behave. Oh, behave. That was another thing. Like McCarthy, such a dad move. You know, in 1999, when that Austin Power sequel was huge, uh, those guys were in diapers. Almost everybody right. in that room, and it's like I don't know if that's the target audience. Uh, but I actually liked. I, I he won me back a little bit with. Um, Charlie f- around and uh, high school Harry. I I was kind of into that. I don't know. I do think though, Dan, I, it was a huge victory for you because for the first time ever, I guarantee <laughs> on NFL.com, the character Fat Bastard was put into a write-up um, by yourself, which I thought was <laughs> marvelous. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm just I'm just saying, like at some level, like you see him at the beginning, McCarthy, and Jerry Jones is tearing up and talking about coming back to football and what it means to him. And they just sort of show, show McCarthy next to him. And he seems to be looking over thinking like, what the? F- he looked befuddled was- to me. That- <laughs> he was like, like, he's in this, he was like what he the hell is confused. happening right now? Right. And it's not like he's running the offense. Kellen Moore's running the offense. And like he's coming up with with the, the mojo moment. I don't. I just don't know what's happening there. Mojo <laughs> moment. Ricky, can you, can you bring up the mojo moment, uh, what it means also? 
I mean, and coaches do this stuff all the time. I just, I'm that curious. That was fine. It was more the Charlie. The Charlie. What? It's like nothing else matters. We're in this for a championship. Right. Charlie <laughs> Brown. He's out of the building. A mojo like moment. Where is he? Where is he? A mojo moment, according to Mike McCarthy, and he has all the coaches yelling it also. And that was the PA guy at practice yelling it out too. So this is a major initiative for the Cowboys. Uh, this is what it said on the uh, the PowerPoint presentation. When it's time for additional confidence, charisma, and performance, this one I got a little confused. So a mojo mo- moment is established initially here that there's a, a time for a mojo moment. Okay, and it's like when that time hits, it's time for the mojo moment. But then the second part of this, um, the slate says, no matter the time, the place, the situation, kick in your mojo, yeah, which makes me think that you should be having your mojo at all times. It feels like wasted energy. Undercuts what the initial thought, which is when the moment calls for it, that's when you need the mojo. Anybody it's, else it is, have an no, issue there? there? No, I think it's. I think number one, um, it's probably. I guarantee he's probably run this mojo moment thing. Uh, like six summers in a row in Green Bay back in like the like 2008 region. But um, it feels like he has, you know, there's a certain number of, he maybe went at it from different angles, but on that graphic, he smushed two, two angles together and they're almost, they clash a little bit. You're, you're constantly in your mojo, but then you need to know when the mojo's finally needed, please. Finally, I just think I of like Kyle Shanahan or Vic Fangio or Bill Belichick watching this and being like, well, oh, we're going to kill them. <laughs> yeah, but he is also the only coach that ever got Aaron Rodgers over the mountain top. I don't know. I I find him, even though I don't think he's. I mean, he inherited Aaron Rodgers, and oh, well, yes, he, he got to win a title. Time. Aaron Rodgers had no choice. He was the head coach, but I'm just saying. I think he's an interesting figure to track, just because he's been around for so long, and you get this. I'm not saying he's the leader of men that you want in 2021, but for the Cowboys, he is right now. Finally, Jerry Jones. Um, Mark, this had to be the low point for you, the episode. Oh, um, yeah. His breakfast, 78 years old. And get a shot of this, Ricky. 78 years old, and Emily was watching it with my wife, and, and she said, uh, oh, she thinks it's a brioche bun with what looked to be cheese and a sausage. And I said, no, look at the consistency of the bun. I think, first of all, I think it's an egg in there. I think you probably have cheese. You definitely have the sausage patty. And then I think it might be like pancakes. Uh, is this is. a McGriddle? It's a McGriddle. In, in fact, I thought there was, you could see, I thought McDonald's um, packaging, but I looked up what is in a McGriddle. It, and this is from their website. It is griddle cakes. That's the breadish item that That's he's a touching pancake, with his right? thumb. Isn't that the same so thing? It, it's, it, I think it is like a sweetened pancake. Um, f- a folded egg, pasteurized processed American cheese, thick cut applewood smoked bacon. In this case, it could be sausage. Clarified butter. Um, we see him pouring salt on top of it. But just would like to point out to Jerry Jones that it already comes packed with 1,360 milligrams of sodium. So the extra salt, uh, okay. He put so much salt on his McGriddle that they actually cut away from it when he was already like deep into the process. We have no they were idea how much children went. that were watching. They were like, this is a bad example. I'll tell you I what, you guys can up. frown upon it. I, I actually made me like him more, too. No, he's, I would. I would try. He's not that eating McGriddle. cantaloupe in the morning. He's seventy-eight years old. He's gone. I'm going to eat a McGriddle. Well, you guys have been up in Oxnard, right? And that, like, that setup that the Cowboys stay in to me is very interesting. I think you do get a reflection of that in training camp. It's not. It's it's not fancy. It's like a huge, you know, rena- no no slack to uh, re- the Renaissance uh, brand 
great great hotels, but it's pretty much the worst hotels those players are going to stay in all year for sure. It's a pretty low-key, very chill scenario, and everyone's staying in it. There's no like special house. Maybe Jerry Jones has some place on the beach I don't know about, but I'm pretty sure they're all just like staying in this little hotel complex. It's not a big deal in the middle of nowhere, and there is something to that that I like uh, that very few NFL teams uh, still keep up with that like old school 1950s 60s tradition of like we're all going to camp and we're we're in it yeah. together. It's cool they do that. I love it. They're in their dorm rooms and I don't know. It just it just feels like like you said old school because as as the sports world becomes they're more riding and, the bikes around and stuff right. for a couple as, weeks. It's fun. Everything is so much more high glossy and everything else is done at such a high level now that you kind of lose some of that. Uh, innocence of what the sport sporting world was like even right. 25 years Gl- ago glossy is not something i would attach to the dallas cowboys on any level so those eyes <laughs> i mean there Are were you... moments it felt like a bit of a like i could almost feel uh west shuddering he would not have liked there were, it felt like it was like a pr video for the 2021 cowboys there was a little bit of that but i'm you know i and some I'm, element I'm that is and john gonzalez tweeted this and it's, this is a part of uh Hard knocks as well. You come out of these episodes, and you're like, "Oh man, Steam looks pretty good." <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, they do have a ton of talent. I mean, they are yeah. they are a fascinating team. Is Steam gonna lose? I don't know. I'm worried about Dak. I'm I'm a little I'm a little more worried. I think than most. Yeah, he's throwing lightly now, by the way. But that will be, you know, sometimes the, these things dovetail together nicely when Hard Knocks syncs up with an actual big NFL story. A couple of years ago with Antonio Brown, that comes to mind. Uh, his contentious. Uh, hold out with the Raiders and the foot issues he had after going in the cryogenic chamber. What is that guy was nuts. Um, but uh, we're going to get uh, good coverage of the stack thing that otherwise they would be able to shield in secrecy. Um, so there you go. This is my 10th season, by the way, at NFL.com writing these recaps. I started 2012 with the Dolphins and I've done it every year since I've only missed two episodes when Harrison was born and Greg. No, no. When Jack was born in 2000. Uh, 14, and Greg, you had jumped in for those two apps. Otherwise, every recap every year. The sands, man. The sands through the hourglass. I mean, but conversely, when Greg leaves the set to go pick up a child, he's lambasted by <laughs> you and myself. Well, the birth of a child, I mean, got to be there with the wife I mean, in the hospital. I mean, I think we should all be flexible, you know, with, with things. We started the show a little late because the lawnmower is making a lot of noise. It's like we're beginning, end of the show, <laughs> changing times. What's, what's is, the difference? I, I don't, uh, there was no lawnmower. Or something like that. I don't remember. Uh, there's no lawnmower. We have a slide at Hansis Manor, a pool slide. It had to be sanded down. Okay. Very loud process. Very loud process. Yeah. A very expensive process, by the way. This home ownership thing—you got to watch out. And but you mentioned banged. you mentioned you had a pool man sanding the slide, but he also <laughs> brought a pool boy with him. Very intriguing. Whatever yeah. happened to Gary Cooper? <laughs> <laughs> a pool man and a pool boy. Yes, and I'll send them your way next, Mark. There won't be anything for them to do in my place. <laughs> I don't know what you need them for. Oh, we'll put them to work. <laughs> this is getting weird. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Hey, NFL Network program is back Friday. Thursday. Thursday. Great. Hey, we got a great time. We're right before uh, Washington Patriots, 6 p.m. 
Eastern. That's that's as good a, on a Thursday. That's as good a time as uh, we've ever had. So people should watch it. That's great. So we're the lead in to the preseason action. That's good. That's a good time slot. Please check that out. Um, uh, we are um, very excited about things that are happening over on the network side. Um, and we will be back with this program um, on Monday. Uh, barring any type of crazy news, you won't hear from us on the podcast again until Monday. Uh, but thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to Cam Wolf. Um, and we will be back on Monday. Until then, heave the call.